Ground ball to third. Base hit down the left field line. The go-ahead run will score. The ball is backhanded by Geyer. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Ryan Scott Sport. This will be a weekly audio podcast where I break down the latest Chicago Cubs games, standings, stats, news, trade rumors, and so much more. It will also feature interviews and special guests, so please be sure to always tune in on Spotify and Apple Podcast. For the very first time on In the Ivy, I have my first guest speaker and co-host for today's episode, an IU Sports Media Senior, IUS TV Baseball Beat Reporter, Alaskan baseball broadcaster, contributor for Houdat, Dish, and WIUX, and most of all, he's a lifelong Chicago Cub fan. Sean Neff, welcome in. How you doing today, buddy? Thanks for having me, man. It's a it's a good day. I actually just finished up the season up here in Alaska, so I've been able to catch up more and more on all the Cubs news, considering we're a whole new team. Definitely a new team as of lately. That is for sure. But real quick, how has baseball been down in Alaska this summer? It's been fun. We dominated the regular season up here. The team up here set a new record for wins in a regular season, went 29 and 11. But man, we ran into a buzzsaw in the playoffs. That team we were going up against, that our offense was lights out. But it was a fun season. Wow. And but I'm ready to I'm ready to get back to some uh some Cubs baseball. Absolutely. That's what we're here to talk about today is Cubs baseball. Alaskan baseball is a lot of fun and Sean got to experience that himself over the summer. So here we are a couple days later, we've heard Jed Hoyer. We've heard Anthony Rizzo. They've came on to ESPN 1000 with David Kaplan. They've talked a little bit on his podcast. It's gotten very honest. It's gotten real, very real for these Cubs fans, all listeners across the nation, starting with Jed on Monday he was brutally honest. I mean, starting off, he went to bed with no regrets after trading. He claimed that he stood by these extension offers. He didn't really know why the guys didn't want to negotiate. He got offered big extensions. Um, they didn't want to counter offer, you know, earlier on in the season. They said they wanted to be on the Cubs. They didn't really act like it at the table. He said that the only guy that really acted like it when it came down to the trade deadline was Kyle Hendricks. He would not really declare, you know, in that Monday podcast with David Kaplan, if this was necessarily a rebuild or a reset for the Chicago Cubs, he was just unclear of really what the near future held for the Cubs. Um, As he mentioned, nobody was really willing to roll up their sleeves and work with him besides the professor. The front office tried. They were more than willing to work with the core. They just weren't really willing to re-sign, you know, under their own terms. There was no common ground. There was no agreements at all. Before the season, we saw players like Anthony Rizzo get offered a contract, but he did not negotiate it. It could be, you know, labeled as a low ball contract offer, which a lot of Cubs fans are wondering why he did not negotiate now after hearing these podcasts over the couple of days. So, I mean, ultimately, ultimately coming down to this offseason, Tom Ricketts, Jed Hoyer, they've got to be aggressive with free agency. They have to be ready to sign, you know, a lot of these big names. Chicago should have some target players ready to compete, you know, coming into the next season with who they actually have right now. But going off of what Rizzo said today, Sean, I know you got to listen to David Kaplan's interview a little bit with him. He said that there's a common denominator that, you know, no one re-signed, no one really negotiated these contract offers 
Can you talk a little bit more on that? Um, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense in the sense that this was the last year of a lot of their contracts. So if you're the Ricketts, if you're a Hoyer, you understand these players are going to ask for a lot of money. Do we feel like we're going to win again with this core? Do we feel like we're reaching the back end of what we're trying to achieve here? They won the championship. They did what no one had come in before them and done. They came in and built up to that major achievement with some additional pieces. And then they held on to some of those core members. But you have to understand that this game has cycles. They talk about it all the time. You can love a player so much, but you have to understand when your window is closed. And I think it might not be the very back end of that window, but it's definitely nearing that time. So they just went ahead and took advantage of the higher value they had on these players. But I think they're all players that do deserve to be playing in October. So I think it's a good factor for them as well. They didn't want to resign because maybe they also understood that and they wanted to chase their own ambitions. Absolutely. I think with being traded too, this is just going to upscale and increase their free agency, you know, profit with the teams that they're playing for, you know, playing in September, October, these championship contending teams that we're seeing across the league. I mean, Rizzo even claimed on the podcast earlier this morning that the writing was kind of, you know, on the wall for these last few years that he was here to stay for life. That's what he wanted. But in the spring, it kind of hurt when it didn't really come close to happening when he got that low ball offer. We saw the last two, three years of the core kind of struggle. They've definitely, you know, seen a lot of better days on the field. Both Hoyer and Rizzo were very honest in their podcast with this. They couldn't see eye to eye. There was no really easy route for the Rizzo contract, the Baez contract, the Chris Bryant contract. None of them was really working out. So, I mean, the core is gone, unfortunately. But the future, I would say the future is right around the corner. There's a solid foundation to build on, you know, coming off of this offseason. I wouldn't necessarily say that this is 2011, you know, the team we saw in 2012, the complete rebuild. We have a lot of key players, you know, from the trade down in Iowa, even some of these not so big names that were playing behind the court, they're going to get some time. Nico Horner, Nick Madrigal, a couple of those guys that will be coexisting up the middle. You know, we saw the core just explosive offense, but also that high strikeout ratio. I think Jed Hoyer did something by going after, you know, those high contact, high energy, lower profile, but really good defensive versatility. They're young leaders. I mean, Nico and Nick Madrigal, they have a very, very high IQ, both, both in baseball and in life. Uh, Sean, if you could talk a little bit more just about those two that we could have up the middle going into the future. Oh, absolutely. I think for once, Nico Horner is going to have to get used to having the most sold Cubs jersey because for a while, everyone else is going to be showing up in some older jerseys. But he's one of the few pieces that I think a lot of people are going to have name recognition with going forward. But one thing I really noticed is Nico is an incredible defender. Everybody's realized that having Nick and Nico up the middle, that pairing could be just a beautiful backbone to a defense that... With Javi, you have a lot of stabs and there's beautiful athletic plays, but sometimes you do make errors. But one thing I had noticed earlier today is Nico Horner has a 98 grade on baseball spot for outs above average. 
which is just absurd to think about how dependable that defense is. But I think Nick Madrigal was the real steal of that trade with the White Sox because he's young. Yeah, he is injured right now, but you had pointed out he was batting 365 before the IL, which is not only good, that's in the range of you're getting great and you're putting up an absurd season. Um, but both of them are really good contact hitters. And that's a lot more dependable when you have a team that does have a high strikeout rate. We we knew when Javi went up to bat that it was like, all right, 0-2, this is going to be a swing probably. But these guys are really good in counts. They can work well. And I think that they're going to be a really dependable part of the rotation because if you can have two hitters over 300 like that, right in the middle of your lineup, that is going to be a huge foundational piece to build off of. Absolutely. When we talk about Nick Madrigal, that 365 average man, it just jumps at you. He's 24 years old. We got him for the next five years, like I said, under team control with his new contract with the Cubs. He's coming back with that hamstring injury, you know, a quick surgery. He's going to be out the rest of this season, but coming back into next year, man, Nico, Nick Madrigal up the middle, that full octane offense, Javier Baez, that 0-2 strikeout approach, it, it never really changed. He was always swinging out of his shoes, but now we might see a different approach out of these guys, you know, in the diversified batting order that we We'll now see with Patrick Wisdom, I mean, Nico Horner. But going back to Patrick Wisdom, just his success, his high ceiling of potential, we're going to see him really highlighted now in this offense. He won't be behind, you know, power bats like Bryant and Baez anymore, Rizzo. He's really going to have, you know, just a pattern of pretty much everything going to left field throughout this entire season. So adjustments will definitely be made by the entire defensive switches, even the way that pitchers approach him when he's at the plate. So um, we can talk a little bit more about the professor even. He's arguably, you know, one of the most underrated pitchers of the entire 21st century. Going forward, the future is bright for the Chicago Cubs. There's a lot of these guys. Hendricks, Adbert Alzale, Justin Steele is, you know, he's getting stretched out. He looks really good down in Iowa. Keegan Thompson as well, and Braylon Mar- Marquez. Braylon Marquez, I mean, he's the number one prospect in our entire minor league organization. He has been for quite some time. The big man on the mound, he could, you know, be that fourth spot in our rotation, fifth spot by the end of this season. Coming into next year, it could be a free agent. We don't really know what we'll see. But I don't mind our pitching rotation at all. And we know Zach Davies, he becomes a free agent next year. But going back to the offensive side of things, Patrick Wisdom, Rafael Ortega as well, the journeyman. I mean, his leadoff has just been unmatched, especially throughout this last week, you know, coming into the season, 29 years old, 30 years old, spent a lot of time in the minors around some teams. Sean, can you talk a little bit more of just his impact that he's had at the top of this order for the Cubs after the trade deadline? Yeah, I, I we talked earlier before we started recording about how each of the major stars had hit home runs in their first games with their new teams, but Rafael Ortega just one up each of them by hitting three to match him in that one game he which is just an absurd thing to think about when he tweeted about it afterwards at each moment he was like all right well that was cute but I got three um he's somebody that's really coming to himself as a hitter yeah he is getting a bit older he's been around the league for a little bit but you have to have some kind of veteran balance it's always going to have a nice balance because 
if you have just a lot of young players, then you're going to have some mistakes without a lot of communication and experience. Um, but he's consistently made improvements as a hitter. And moving into this season alone, there was not only just improvements, but massive improvements when it comes to his batting average, his OBP, his barreled balls in his first three seasons was at 0%. It's just flat zero. He has gotten it up to 8 and 8.8, which is, we see what happens when he actually barrels the ball up. So it's a pretty productive at bat. But I think he's somebody that can be put in as part of a platoon squad bat or somebody you need to come in in a really big hitting situation. Uh, and we know we still have some other dependable pieces. Like we have Will, or Willie down here, Hap when he can produce. We have players that are there, but like you said, we could be talking about whole different players when it comes to chasing those free agents. We definitely could. There's a lot to build around in these guys. As we mentioned, Rafael Ortega, his barreled balls has increased 8% on Sunday against the Nationals. I mean, it was Rafael Ortega versus Hernandez. We saw, you know, a walk-off in the ninth inning with Hernandez for the Nationals hitting his second of the game. Ortega had three that game. He had, you know, all five of our RBIs, four of our five hits. He was just unstoppable on Sunday. In this last week, he's hit 458 and four home runs just in one week. So definitely someone to keep an eye on. We mentioned Ian Happ. He's been in a little bit of a slump this year. He's very, you know, productive. He can produce a lot on offense when he's actually on. He's another versatile outfielder. I like that lineup, you know, Ortega at the top, Nico right there, second RBI hitter. And then even Nick Madrigal, it could go either way, second, third. And then you have, you know, Wilson Contreras. And if Hayward fixes his swing, we have his contract, you know, for another three seasons. He's a high octane player in the outfield. We saw him last week, you know, make a sports center top 10 play, but really worried about just his offensive struggles as of lately. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, Jason Hayward and his approach at the plate, Sean? Yeah. Hey, Jay Hay is one of those odd players that also keeps to stick around. He and the professor are just parts of the Cubs that aren't really talked about as much as they should be considering how much of his contract was a major signing at the time, but he used to be a really big power hitter. I think a lot of people kind of forget about that when he was signed as the positional player he was. Yeah, he was a gold lover. He was a great outfielder, but he could also really contribute in the middle, like heart of your lineup. But as he's gone on recently, it seems he's just using a lot more power. His exit velocity and his amount of hard hits is just peaking out at points higher than any other part of his career. But yet he's still not getting home runs or extra base hits, and he's striking out, I think, at like 30% at one point this season, which is tough. (laughs) If you're going to be throwing a guy up there and expect him to sit down 30% of the time on strikes, that's not somebody you generally pay that money to. But I think he does have that power potential still. They just need to send him to a different training site to really focus on keeping his eye down and maybe trying to pull it somewhere else instead of just trying to crush every baseball he sees. I couldn't agree more with that, Sean. 
Definitely. With David Bodie, he's coming back, you know, from that re-existing shoulder injury. We talk about Hayward maybe being, you know, reassigned, put down, you know, bottom of the order, fixing that swing, seeing different kinds of pitches, fixing that approach. But David Bodie, he's got that clutch gene. He's another one of those guys I like to really build our offense around. You know, he adds a lot of fuel. Um, he can play multiple positions. We've seen him at first base. We've seen him at second base. We've seen him at third base. Occasionally, we could stick him in the outfield for an inning or two, you know, make a couple fly ball outs. Even Matt Duffy, he's coming back from an injury as well. Will we see a lot of time with him? I don't know. Two or three months left of the season, he becomes a free agent. Another one of those guys, Sergio Alcantara, he's seen, you know, a little bit of time up the middle, especially now with the trades. He's even seen time at shortstop. Will that continue with, you know, prospects like Brennan Davis, Ed Howard, some of those guys, Andrew Romine, utility player. Emmanuel Rodriguez, he's another one of those guys that made his debut for the Cubs on the bump, though, defensively. He had some nasty stuff. I mean, Ross even said the pitches like he was throwing those breaking balls for strikes, the cut fastball to the left leg, you know, the exploding, you know, two-seamer, four-seamer. It looked really good coming on both sides of the lineup. There wasn't really anything that was not impressive about his debut over the weekend, David Ross said. He did get walked off on, we saw on Sunday, but his stuff, I mean, his location, it looked really good. So another one of those guys you could keep your eye on in Manuel Rodriguez. Another one down in the farm system right now with Iowa, Brennan Davis, we saw him play in the Futures game. He was actually the MVP with those big flies right behind Braylon Marquez. He's the second ranked Chicago Cubs prospect down in Iowa. Ed Howard, we saw get drafted a couple years ago. You know, he's the hometown boy, Chicago prospect, drink number five right now. But going back to who was called up after we saw, you know, the core kind of diminish, this could be, you know, the new segment of the Cubs for the next two to three months because of free agency. We're not sure what's going to happen with some of these guys, Manuel Rodriguez, you know, Jake Arrieta, Dan Winkler. Uh, even Andrew Romine, Cole Stewart, some of these guys. So who was called up after these trades to kind of, you know, make an impact in these two, three months and save us, you know, a, a few heartbreaks and hopefully not end up at the bottom of the NL Central division behind the Pirates. But Sean, can you talk a little bit about Michael Rucker, even a little bit more about Andrew Romine and Fargus and Schwindle? Yeah, uh, I do want to talk about Rodriguez too, because some of the stuff he had, man it was just disgusting he and Braylon Marquez kind of fall into the same boat at the moment just because of that walk-off it really kind of sours the flavor you got from the good performance up until then you're like oh man that was great but it kind of sucked what happened at the end there uh I mean Marquez made his appearance as well and got two outs on I think gave up five runs so that's tough but I mean it's it happens from time to time with Rodriguez, he did have some really high 90 stuff. There was a segment of his game that got put on Pitching Ninja in his first time debuting for the season, which was it's a pretty good caliber to set when you're ending up on that kind of high praise. He has a low ERA this point of the year. He's a high strikeout machine. I've seen him when he really amps himself up too, he works from his like usual 96 to 99 and he's touched triple digits. And I love pitchers that really work on emotion. So that's kind of exciting to see. Um, Rucker is fairly similar. He's appeared in a couple games. He has a somewhat inflated ERA, 
I know a lot of people don't like to see it above four. It's something that you generally can dismiss just considering you have one or two bad outings. I'm going to tell you that ERA is going to be around five for a minute and it's not going to come back down until you really work your way down. And he's, he is just under 40 in innings pitch. So, I mean, it's understandable. He has nearly 50 strikeouts in that time. He and Rodriguez really got some good strikeout stuff. So I understand why they're calling them up. They want to see, can they translate the stuff they've been succeeding with in high A over to the majors? And with Rodriguez, I mean, I was really impressed. I'm excited to see what Rucker can really do. I think the reason more is like a bridge man initially. Because uh, they do have those arms like Steel. They obviously have Hendricks. They're going to keep throwing them for a while until they give one or two spots up for rotation to try out. Uh, Romine, we've talked about him a lot. He's somebody that's played in the minor league for the while. I personally think he could have more RBIs, but he would fit better as a leadoff role, in my opinion. He's somebody who's, if you're batting over 300, I'd say you should find yourself in the top five slots of your rotation. That's a pretty consistent rule. But he is a pretty aggressive back runner for a 311 batting average, having 26 runs scored. That means you obviously have a pretty dependable partner behind you, but you're also helping yourself by being aggressive on the bags. So that's something that we could see. And it's hard to top the bag running of some people like MAGA, but we got to set our new standard. We got to get behind some new players. So if we can get some electric plays like that, that's exciting. Uh, with Fargus, I swear I thought I misspelled his name like four times because I didn't know there was a W in there for a while. Then I was like, I swear there's some weird letter in there. I actually had to fact fact check that as well when I saw that. I was like, no way that's that guy's first name. But yeah, no, it is. I promise. <laughs> he's, uh, he's also been down in the minors for about 20 games. He has a really small sample size, but he does have more of that pop we are kind of used to. He and Brennan Davis and Fargus both kind of have that natural pop, I'd like to say. Both of them, we didn't really expect them to be the kind of contact hitters we do have with our middle lineup guys. But when they make contact, I mean, he had four home runs in 20 games. That's a pretty solid pace. The hitting home runs in 20% of your games, that's a nice contribution in any lineup. Uh, and those turn into 12 RBIs. So obviously he knows how to help out when there's people on bags. You have to get, you have to get the ducks off the pond. It's the name of the game. But in uh, the last one that we really wanted to talk about was in an in infielder. I think the infield is kind of going to be a log jam for a while. We're going to see a lot of rotating pieces, uh, which is going to lead to some harsh judgment on any kind of air that you see. But uh, Frank Schwindel, he's another opportunity player for the Cubs this year. He's somebody that we kind of just brought in off the waivers. And if you thought Fargus's sample size was small, take 20 games and move that to 20 plate appearances. And that's where Schwindel is. Uh, but he hit a home run in one of those. So it's not terrible. I just, I don't think we've seen a lot from him. People are going to say, Oh, 25% strikeout rate. He's been up to the plate 20 times. Like <laughs> you probably want to start being aggressive in your first few at bats. You want to try and make an impression. You're going to strike out a little bit, 
but I I think Schwindel is somebody that's going to be a part of that whole rotational piece that we're going to see. And you're going to see a lot of names on the infield that you might not be too familiar with. Definitely. A lot of these guys we're going to see in rotation, you know, these next two, three months with who we've seen over the weekend, just caught up in Schwindel and Fargus, Romine and Rucker, Rodriguez, Braylon Marquez, the list goes on and on. But at the end of this season, we could be saying goodbye to, you know, a few other people other than just the core that we said goodbye to, you know, a week ago. Jake Arietta, he came back for this one year contract. He could be retiring with the Chicago Cubs. You know, he wants to be in Wrigley at the federal landmark north side retiring you know where it all began for him where he achieved so much accomplished so much for the entire city zach davies he's another one of these guys that becomes a free agent sean do you see anything happening with arietta zach davies and you know this winter with free agency arietta is an interesting prospect i have my own superstition about arietta because every time I always check before the Cubs game because I can watch it early while I've been up here in Alaska and I'll go and check who pitches before every single game. But part of me never wants to check because every time I've checked and Arietta has been on the mound, we've lost. But every time I don't check and he's on the mound, we've won. So <laughs> he conflicts me every single time into checking whether or not who's pitching. Um, but I think he has really combined. If you think the other players have really imbued themselves with the city and they have, Arietta is also a part of that core. And I think you can see that his career is coming to a point where he's going to have to start considering, do I, if I do want to end it, where do I want to end it? And I think Chicago is a great place for that, considering how much history he has here and he reached the peak here. So you might as well retire at a place that does adore you has that kind of adoration even when you're always going to have some kind of recognition um with Davies I think we're going to see we obviously have a lot more cap space now uh but this follows the same year where we have a bunch of international spending where we were about second in the league in international spending for a couple of years past purely for our prospects uh so we might see some cut and burn with some of their contracts but Davies is another one of those players that always seems like he kind of just sticks around. So I wouldn't be surprised if to see him coming back for at least a shortened contract or in a year or so. We have so many other names coming back. And I honestly think someone like Cole Stewart might be someone that'd be higher on their list to bring back simply because of the drastic increase we saw in his pitching in 2019. Yep. Cole Stewart, the big lefty, another one of those guys that I would definitely want to see him, you know, given a contract, maybe a re-sign come this winter. But Jake Arietta, after we saw the core, you know, not really negotiate anything, not really get anything worked out, never on the same page. I think Jake might be able to just cut his ties, you know, where he is. This is right where he wants to retire, where it all began for him. So this could be it for Jake Arietta these last few months. I've loved watching him over these last, you know, five, six seven seasons for the Cubs, a Cy Young winner, a World Series winner. Who knows what's in store for Jake Arrieta, but Zach Davies, he's been productive. We saw him be a little bit more productive down in San Diego. We'd like to see a little bit of that here up in Chicago, but he could be gone, you know, come this winter, but he could be around. Who knows? Um, Matt Duffy, 
Rex Brothers as well. Robinson Chineros. I would put Robinson Chineros kind of in that same boat with Jake Arietta. They both started their career here. Robinson Chineros, another journeyman who's had a long, long career in the MLB. He could be retiring with the Cubs. This is where it all started for him as well. But Cole Stewart, probably one of the biggest names on this free agency list for the Cubs. Uh, Sean, can you talk a little bit more about why the Cubs might want to highlight him coming into this winter? Yeah, I well, we all are quite familiar with the fact that the Cubs don't have as much success growing up their pitching talent as some of the other big market teams. We're not the Dodgers who, oh man, I'd love to have that. But we he's one of the ones that I think does really draw a lot of attention. Obviously, Braylon Marquez is the top prospect we have, but you have to look down until you find Alexander Vizcaino at number eight for our next prospect that we recently acquired in a trade. And then Cole Franklin directly after he is somebody who simply on his blood, I'd say I like to see that he has family that's been in the show. He has family that's been at an all-star level. And I mean, similar story. We had a player up here who has a cousin that pitches in the show, even though he just turned 41, he's out there pitching with Padres and seeing that and how much that drives him and the advice that he gets there, it gives you a lot of confidence that he's not only drawing from the system, but from outside sources as well. And I think just with his changeup in his fastball alone, he looks like one of those stop go pitchers that can really work his way through the lineup at least two times if he can build himself up to it he has a great athleticism he's a tall build like he has everything you would want to see from a great starter you just need to give him more time I mean to be fair the guy's younger than me he's gonna be I'm gonna be 22 and he's gonna be 22 about a month after so he's still fairly young he's playing in low a but it's somebody that I think the prospect is very worth it considering how far along he is with where he's at already. We drafted him sixth overall, like sixth round, 188. I think we got to steal with that. We were able to keep him pretty low, and I'm a sucker for the knuckle curve, so I'm going to support Cole Franklin. Definitely, man. I love watching Cole's stuff, you know, down there in Iowa this season. He's another one of those guys. I love our pitching rotation, you know, what it could potentially be. I look at the last two seasons and it's very inconsistent, you know, but coming into the next year with Hendricks, Alzale, as we mentioned, Justin Steele, you know, Keegan Thompson, Cole Stewart. I mean, Braylon Marquez. We don't necessarily need to highlight as much pitching anymore in free agency as we kind of need to build around, you know, an offense and, and strong defense now. Even the bullpen is going to need some work, you know, come this winter in the free agency. But that's a conversation for another time on who we're really going to target, you know, come this winter. We'll see in, you know, 2023 next season, David Ross, Wilson Contreras, their contracts will also come to an end. Will we see them get extended? Another conversation for another time. There's a lot of these good guys, you know, on the Cubs free agency list just that are ending here in October that we could resign, that we could see next season. Iowa, the farm system is very promising. We've seen a lot of these guys called up. That's been productive 
in all of their outings so far. Going back, I mean, the cork is gone, but the future is right here. We mentioned a lot of those guys and, you know, Patrick Wisdom, Nick Madrigal, Nico Horner, the professor, Rafael Ortega, Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ, all those guys, they're sticking around. They still want to win. They got to fix some things personally, We, you know, with their approach at the plate, even some defensive struggles as well. So what got real was Hoyer. He was really unsure of when the Cubs will compete again at this high level, as we heard on that ESPN 1000 podcast with David Kaplan. If you haven't heard that yet, go take a listen to that. Again, ESPN 1000 Chicago with David Kaplan. He interviewed Jed Hoyer and Anthony Rizzo on separate days this week, talking about what happened to the core and how kind of was a breakup and what led to that. So Sean Neff joining me today on episode four of In the Ivy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sean, it's good to have you. IUS TV director is a baseball broadcaster, sports media senior here at IU. Sean, thank you again so much for joining me on In the Ivy. Thank you for having me, man.